Well, as you can tell from the text of this morning's message and the video you just watched, this morning we're going to be talking about humility and how Jesus showed us what it meant to live life in humility. Our text this morning comes from Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. It says, When he noticed how the guest picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus said this to the host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So if we're going to spend some time talking about humility, I think it's important for us to first understand what the word humility means. Merriam-Webster defines humility as freedom from pride or arrogance, the quality or state of being humble. Humility is the opposite of pride. It is not arrogant or assertive. Humility is recognizing that the achievements you have in life were only made possible through the gifts and talents that God has given you. When we look at scripture, we can find several examples of people who lived their lives with humility. Paul is a great one. He boasted of one thing and one thing only, and that was the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul certainly had many things he could boast of. He could have boasted about his heritage. He had a very strong bloodline. He could have boasted about where he came from, or how he became the greatest missionary of all time. He had a pretty incredible testimony. He could have boasted about everything he did for Christ and the church, the many churches he planted, the lengthy missionary journeys he went on, or the many letters he wrote. I mean, it'd be pretty cool if you could say, hey, I wrote a significant portion of the New Testament. But Paul never let these things go to his head. He never talked about his achievements in a prideful manner. In fact, he talked very little about what he did for God, and instead talked more about what God had done for him and for others. Another example of humility is the greatest example of humility, and that's Jesus Christ and how he lived his life here on earth. He's the son of God, but yet he humbled himself and lived his life serving others. There are two major examples of humility that he had that I want to reference. First is Jesus always was teaching other people, including his disciples, what it meant to live a life made new in him. Even right before the day when he would be arrested and crucified, he was teaching his disciples about what? Humility. He was doing this when he washed their feet. He got down on his knees and washed each one of their stinky, filthy feet. Now, who wants to wash other people's feet? Especially the day before you know you're going to go through the hardest, most painful day imaginable. 
Well, Jesus did. And we know the ultimate expression of humility seen from Jesus was when he gave his life to die on the cross, taking the sins of this world upon himself and giving himself on our behalf. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is what humility is. My first point this morning is to take the last place. Today's text continues right after last week's text. And if you remember last week, we're talking about how Jesus was healing yet another person on the Sabbath. Well, right after that healing, it was time for them to have their meal. And as they were preparing for the meal, the people who were there were rushing and pushing other people out of their way, trying to get the best seat. You see, where a person sat during this time was incredibly important. In today's day and age, usually a status, a status symbol in our world is wealth. You see these millionaires building a yacht bigger than their friend. It's a competition. Who can build the bigger yacht? Who can build the bigger mansion? It's a status symbol. Well, during this time, your status symbol was your popularity, your standing in the community. And one of the ways that someone knew where their popularity was, was where they sat at a party or a gathering. And so this became their focus. And for people in today's text, that was the only way they had of knowing where they stood in the community. They knew where they stood and they knew where others stood based off where, if they were one, invited to meals, and number two, where they were seated at the meals. You see, the host was the most important person, obviously, they're the ones planning it, so they get the prized seat at the front of the table. The second important person would be seated to the right, and the third most important person was seated to the left, and so on and so forth until you get to the bad end of the table. So as I read about this, all I could think about was, don't these people have anything more important to worry about in life was than getting more important than getting invited to parties and worrying about where they were sitting? So basically, if you were close to the host or even towards that end of the table, you were doing good. If you were at the other end of the table, then you wanted to pay attention and invite the people who were at the top of the table so they could bring you up the social chain. So it was this endless cycle of people jockeying for invitations to parties, best seats at these parties, and it was this constant cycle. You invited other people who you could use their influence to bring you up. You tried to get yourself to go farther up the table. And so this is the mindset of what's happening. And as this is all going down, Jesus is just standing there watching it. And he's using it to teach a parable. Now this parable can be split into two sections. The first. Jesus is addressing all the people who are fighting for the best position. Jesus, said that, Jesus says that when you take the best seat at the table, you will be humbled. If a guest goes and takes the best seat, and then someone comes along who has a higher level of influence, then the host is going to say, hey, get out of there. You're going to the end of the table. This person's more important than you. But if you take the worst seat at the table, you have a better chance of then being elevated. Now, it's much better to be promoted than to be demoted, especially in this culture, where positioning at the table is everything. So for them to willingly take the worst seat at the table would be an incredibly difficult thing for a person to do. Because even if you didn't deserve the best seat at the table, you probably didn't deserve the worst seat. 
So to voluntarily take it would require a tremendous amount of humility. In verse 11, Jesus says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the lesson Jesus is trying to teach in this parable. In another gospel, Mark, Jesus comes back to this idea in chapter 9, verse 35, when he says, Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and a servant of all. It's been said that the world's instrument to success is the elbow. You have to use your elbows to push yourself ahead of others in order to advance. Well, Jesus' instrument to success is the knee. He's calling us to submit to others, and instead of pushing them out of our way, to serve them instead. This goes against everything our culture says. Our culture says that we need to worry about ourselves. We need to get ourselves ahead and let others worry about themselves. Well, this is what it means to have humility. It means to take this mindset and flip it around so that we're then serving others. And not just once or twice, but to develop a mindset of consistent humility, where it becomes our lifestyle, where we're naturally serving others rather than ourselves. So why is it so hard for us to practice humility? Well, one big reason is we fear humiliation. You see, humility and humiliation are two similar words, but they have different meanings. Humility is when we're humble, when we choose to give others the best seat. When we choose to serve others first, it's when we try to not seek recognition when we do good. Humiliation is caused by other people or circumstances. In the parable, when a person is demoted from the best seat to the worst seat, they're experiencing humiliation. No one likes to be humiliated. Sometimes we're humiliated from our own doing, and other times it's out of our control. But whatever the case, we tend to avoid it at all costs. Earlier, I mentioned Paul. He experienced humiliation through the thorn in his flesh. Jesus also experienced humiliation, as we said, through his death on the cross. In both these examples, their humiliation was caused by something else, but they used it for something good. Paul was able to draw strength through his suffering, through his humiliation. I mentioned Jesus and how he was washed, how he washed his disciples' feet. Well, you see, to wash someone's feet during this time would have been incredibly humiliating. It's a job that is usually reserved for servants. Now, I don't have to tell you guys that our feet can get stinky. But remember, the disciples more than likely were wearing sandals, so their feet would have been caked with dirt. Also, remember, they're traveling on the same road as donkeys and other animals, so those roads more than likely would have been covered with manure. So picture stinky feet covered in a thick layer of dust mixed with manure. You can almost smell it. Well, this is what Jesus did. He washed not just one person's feet, but all 12 disciples. He showed humility and also experienced at the same time what many would say is humiliation by doing this task. But he did it to teach the disciples a valuable lesson about serving others, even when it means you may experience humiliation. If you take nothing else from what I've said so far, take this. To live in humility might not be easy. You might feel like you're missing out on things around you, but I promise you, you're missing out on nothing compared to what will come in the future. And this is what Jesus was trying to show 
to his disciples as well as to the Pharisees who he was teaching this parable to. My second point this morning is that to have humility, we need to have the right attitude. So we spent time looking at the people who were invited to the party and how Jesus called them out for fighting for the best seat in order to promote themselves. Now we're going to look at the second part of the parable where Jesus is turning his attention to the host. Verses 12 through 14 says, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. As bad as it was that these guests were trying to position themselves at the best seat of honor, remember that for them to be there, they had to receive an invitation from the host. They couldn't just walk in off the street. This means these were the kinds of people that this host was inviting. And he wasn't inviting them out of the goodness and generosity of his heart. The host was concerned with his standing as well. And that's why he would invite people with influence. If you could throw a big party and surround yourself with the most important people around you, it would definitely give you that boost in your standing in society. As was common with Jesus, he did not waste time. He would get straight to the point. He knew that both the guest and the host were there merely to climb the social ladder and boost their standing in the community. They were more concerned over their own prideful desires, and Jesus was calling them to change this and instead live lives that were generous, to replace their prideful nature with one of humility. He was saying to throw out the old guest list and replace it with a list of people who would never normally be invited to a party. The poor, the handicapped, the disabled, the people who had no means of repaying their host, and no means, more importantly, of elevating his position. It was time for them to realize that they were all equal and equally dependent upon the grace of God. This was, again, something that went against everything they believed. There was a reason for everything for these people, and those reasons were usually to advance themselves. Jesus was telling them to get new motives, to do things out of a desire to be generous, to show love, to be a servant to others. Again, this isn't always the easiest thing to do. Think about yourselves. If you're going to host a large dinner party, who do you more than likely want to be there? You want your friends there, or people you know, people you're comfortable with. These are the kind of people you want to be around. The people we don't really know that well or have trouble getting along with aren't normally at the top of our list. But these are the people Jesus is saying to invite. The outcasts, the people we tend to avoid. Now I'm not saying to leave here and go out and throw a big dinner party. I mean, if you want to, go ahead, I'll be there. What I'm talking about is how you live your day-to-day -day life. What does it look like for you to live with a mindset of serving others? As I said before, we live in a culture of where it's all about elbowing yourself to the front, where everyone focuses on themselves rather than others. Now, there's nothing wrong with furthering yourself in life. It's when we do it at the cost of others or neglecting others that Jesus is teaching about. This is what it looks like for us to invite the outcast to the dinner party. 
Now again, when there's a party or a gathering, who has the final say of who's going to be there? Again, it's the person who's giving the invitation. They're the ones who have the final say of who's going to be there, as well as the ranking of where people are going to sit. Well, Jesus Christ has given us an invitation to join him at the table of God. And we're only able to join him by grace. We don't deserve to be there any more than anybody else. It doesn't matter if we're rich, if we're poor, if we're healthy, sick, famous, or not famous. All that matters is that we are there because of the grace of God that was extended to us through his son dying on the cross. We do not deserve it, and that is what makes it grace. Jesus called those who were there to invite those who could not repay their host. What would it look like for us to do the same? To do something for someone knowing that we will not get any recognition for it. So now that we know that we're to live our lives in humility, but how do we develop humility in our lives? Well, it's all about our attitude. I'll be sharing three different kinds of attitude that will help us develop humility. The first is having the right attitude towards God. Having humility toward God is similar to the fear of God. Now remember, when I say fear of God, I'm not talking about being scared of God. I'm talking about the respect of God and who he is. When we see God in his majesty and his glory, his awesomeness and his holiness, we can't help but be humbled before him. In scripture, whenever someone was able to view God in his glory, the result was always humility. In order to experience humility towards others, we have to first experience humility in our attitude towards God, our creator, and the creator of the universe we are part of. In order to have humility, we also need to have the right attitude toward God's word. Someone who is humble before God will also be humble before God's word. We see this in 2 Kings 22, verses 11 through 13. It says, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Abkam son of Shetham, Akbor son of Micaiah, Shetham the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Now, the king in this passage is Josiah. If you don't remember, he's the king who was crowned at the age of eight. He was also one of the kings who did right in the eyes of the Lord. Eighteen years into his reign, as they were doing repairs on the temple, they discovered the law, and the law that had been neglected to the point that Josiah didn't even know anything about it. He immediately responded in a state of humility to the words he heard read to him. He knew the importance of these words. See, oftentimes when we read scripture, we get into a mode where we're reading the word to learn more about God, and we treat it as a source of knowledge about God. Now, while we are able to learn about God through scripture, it's, re- it's important to remember that the word is living. It's not just a reference book with random words on its pages. As we read and search in scripture, we must also allow the Holy Spirit to use scripture to search us as well. Look at it this way. If Jesus just walked through that door right there and started teaching us, we wouldn't give it a second thought. We would listen to whatever it is that he's teaching us. 
If we hear, if we want to hear, we have to listen. Jesus is speaking to us through the word in the same way as if he walked through that door and was speaking to us. We have to read scripture knowing that we're not just reading words on a page, but that they're words from God himself. And this goes back to us having a greater understanding of God and his majesty. And how, will we, and how we will develop that humility when we have the right attitude towards his word. Finally, we'll grow in humility when we have a right attitude toward God's grace. When a believer is living in humility before God and his word, they will also be humble about their own gifts, their own abilities, and achievements. You will know that everything you have, you have because it comes from God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We know, we know and have already talked about how we're able to have that relationship with God due to the grace that he's extended us. Sometimes I think it can be tempting for us to think about the things we're doing for God as the things that helped us have salvation that we're almost able to have a part in salvation because we're doing these good things. When we have humility, we'll do as Paul did and not focus on the things we've done or are doing for God. Instead, we'll focus on what God has done and is continuing to do for us. I already said Paul was a great example of living this out. He could have wrote about all the things he did and how they all helped the kingdom of God, but he never did. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, not yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. The bottom line is to live a life for Christ, we need to live a life of humility. The opposite of humility is pride. If you were to look at almost any kind of sin, you can see that many, if not all of them, stem from pride in one way or another. It was pride that forced Satan out of heaven. It was pride that caused the angels he took with him to go with him. It was pride that sin entered what was once a perfect world when Eve ate the forbidden fruit. And it was pride that made Adam eat it when she gave it to him. It was pride that caused Cain to commit the world's first murder when he killed his brother Abel. In the same way that pride is at the root of sin, humility is at the root of the godly virtues we try to live out. It's easy for us to neglect humility because it's not something we talk about very often. In the video we opened with, it said humility is often the forgotten virtue, that it's easy to focus on other virtues, such as patience, kindness, compassion, or respect. It went on to say that the root of all other virtues is the forgotten one, humility. In order to truly live out all these other virtues, we have to first live in humility. My application point this morning is actually a question, and it's will you answer the call of Jesus? The call to live in utter dependence on him, to give up your all so that he can truly be all. As the worship team comes up to close, I want to close doing something a little bit different. See, in my office, I have this large ceramic bowl that was a gift to me during my ordination service. It was meant to be a reminder of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, a reminder of how he lived his life in humility. 
As I started working on this message last week, I saw that bowl, and throughout the whole week, my mind kept going back to Jesus, washing his disciples' feet, and picturing what that would look like. And so I have these small bowls, very tiny, but these small bowls up on the altar, and I just want to offer them to you just to serve as a token or a reminder of the humility that Jesus showed, that when you see them, you'd be reminded of Jesus and how he washed his disciples' feet and what it looked like to live in humility, even through humiliation. And then also as we're closing in worship, just remember that the altar is always open. If there's something that you want to continue worshiping through at the altar, you're more than welcome to come forward. If there's maybe something that, some kind of pride you're struggling with that you want to leave at the altar and instead take humility with you, just know the altar is open.